American United strives to serve those who serve. Ask them about their VA home loans, which offer up to 100% financing, often with no down payment required. Make an appointment to research your options. Learn more at amucu.org. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we're going to be continuing with our book reviews, our another episode of Top Reads with my co-host, Daniel Taylor. Now, the story, the format in this book is Michael Gerber's um, interviewing a woman who has this passion for pies and who's opened up a pie shop and made her life miserable by taking on the role of manager and entrepreneur and technician and uh, not having um, these roles defined and um, not having checklists, not having the structure. This is another episode of Innovation and Leadership. Today, we're going to be picking from the 400 plus books on business, marketing, and strategy that we've read and talking about one of them that we feel like can have a big impact on innovators and entrepreneurs as they try to invent the future. As always, in addition to learning from the show, we hope you'll consider clicking on the Child Rescue tab on our website, iCollective.co, to see how you can help change the life of a child that's been rescued from abuse and trafficking. Also, we love all of you who've been emailing to tell us what parts of the episodes you really liked or, or what was helpful to you. And to everybody else, if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Just send me an email at stories at iCollective.co. And now on to the episode. Thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. So what do you want to talk about this week? Today, we want to talk about Michael Gerber's E-Myth Revisited. Um, it's an awesome book for any entrepreneur um, and entrepreneur. He really goes through and talks about the struggle of roles within entrepreneurship and how oftentimes we find ourselves not defining roles or trying to take them all on ourselves or giving all the same roles to everybody. And there's a number of problems that come with that. Um, But what I want to start with is the three roles. He talks about there's the entrepreneur, the manager, and the technician. Um, In your experience, you know, you've been involved in a lot of companies in the past. Um, how have you um, defined these three roles in the past? Has that been a struggle for you? Yeah, I think the struggle was that I didn't define them, you know, and uh, I didn't realize that getting down in the weeds was over identifying with the technician role of actually doing the work. And I hated the manager role of like, let's just get it and keep it solid. You know, I've been partners with my brother, Nick on a, few companies and he, he hated how much I wanted to change things, the inner entrepreneur in me. <laughs> and I hated how, how boring it was to just keep doing the same thing, the manager and him. Yeah. And, uh, I think that I didn't really appreciate that about him. And so, um, it caused friction where now, I mean, I'm, I'm in love with this book and the idea of making it a system and, you know, Hey, 95% of independent restaurants go out of business. 95% of franchise restaurants stay in business. It's not the selling of food that's the problem, right? right? Um, so for me, where he lays it out so clear, I mean, it's a simple book. Um, and it it seems like it's only for small businesses. But yet, the businesses I've been a part of, 
that are dealing in the millions and millions, these are not clearly defined things there either. Yeah. And so I feel like it's a value up and down the size of business chain. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's the long way of saying I didn't separate them. Yeah. And, and I think that was a problem. Yeah. Um, and I should have said, you know, the technician is, is the person who knows how to do the specific tasks. They're uh, taking care of everything that needs to get done. The manager is the one who's seeing to everything being taken care of. And the entrepreneur is the visionary. They're the ones who, you know, they, they have that passion for pies and they want to start that pie shop, but uh, they weren't necessarily meant to be the manager and the technician. And yet that's how it usually ends up being. Um, and you mentioned the system. So, you know, he lays out these three roles, this dire need to define them. And then he talks about this um, crazy success that franchises have had because they have been able to take everything and put it into a checklist format, right? Um, anybody could take, you know, any employee's job and start and on day one know exactly what to do because there's a very simple step-by-step checklist how to do that. Um, not an easy thing to do, right? That takes a little bit of effort, um, but it certainly is a huge benefit when you can then turn around and, and you never have a problem with retraining. You never have a problem taking that model somewhere else and applying it. Um, have you been able to apply that kind of checklist model anywhere in your past experience? I will say that when I do, when I slow down enough to write the checklist, it makes everybody else's life easier because people aren't complaining, wow, Jess, that was only in your head. None of us knew what you are talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never experienced that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting. You talk about checklists. You know, I'm a big fan of that book, The Checklist Manifesto, mm-hmm. um, that surgeon in the Bay Area who was going through why, you know, surgeons and doctors are making mistakes because they just can't hold it all in their head. Right. There's too much medical information nowadays. But because of ego, people think a checklist is for some small-minded person Mm-hmm. Until you realize like Formula One teams, their their pit crews do this. And the biggest skyscrapers in the world are built running checklists, right? right. And it's a simple way to solve for the fact that uh, human error happens and people have different opinions and people have different perspectives and people's assumptions typically lead to problems, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I think where the checklist gets amazing is uh, it's kind of like the difference between short-term thinking and long-term thinking. Yeah. The short-term thinking of, man, I don't want to take the time to teach my five-year-old how to do that. It's just faster to do it myself. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, new staff members can feel like that. Oh my gosh, this is so painful. How come they don't get what I'm talking about? Here, I'll just do it for you. Yeah. Versus um, saying, hey, maybe they're not bad at this. Maybe I'm bad at teaching it. Yeah. And maybe I haven't made it clear. And maybe there isn't a step-by-step way to have this accomplished that is the same for everyone. And um, I, I think it, I like the point that he makes of like, hey, this is not just saying every company in the world should be able to be run by teenagers like McDonald's. Right. He's saying if, if you're a law firm, you should just be able to have the least qualified lawyer still be able to produce at a certain threshold, yeah. right? Where yeah. there's this standard that everyone can meet because A, the standard is clear and B, the process to that standard is clear. And it, it takes work up front that doesn't produce money to take the time to do that. Right. Whether it's your marketing strategy, whether it's your finance strategy, there's a lot of flying by the seat of our pants in entrepreneurship for the vast majority of people. Right. Hence the statistics 
what percentage of us go out of business in the first five years, and then what percentage of the ones that make it the first five go out of business in the following five years. Right, right. I have experienced this, you know, producing this podcast, I used to go into audition and um, follow kind of a checklist in my head to produce each episode. And then came time to turn it over to somebody else. And um, it's not just beneficial for your employees to have these checklists. It's beneficial for you. I, I wrote everything down. I laid it out, tried to make it as clear as I could. And then I handed it over to somebody who had never done it before. And I, I left him to it. And, uh, you know, several hours later, he, uh, he came out with an episode. And, uh, and I was able to refine that checklist and, and whatever. And now that's down to a science. Um, and that's just one example. In, of one and now he's hired someone else. Right. And it's awesome to have that checklist now because he can just pass that off to somebody else. Um, it's incredibly efficient. But, you know, the story, the format in this book is Michael Gerber's um, interviewing a woman who has this passion for pies and who's opened up a pie shop and made her life miserable by taking on the role of manager and entrepreneur and technician and uh, not having um, these roles defined and um, not having checklists, not having the structure. Um, and it's clear as you're reading the book that this is not just limited to people who have their own businesses, but even within your own work, whatever you're doing, um, undefined roles result in frustration and, and inefficiency. Um, but then comes the dilemma of where do you start? She, the, the person that Michael Gerber is talking to, is she's so excited and she's so ready to do all this, but where do you start? How do you start with checklists? How do you start defining roles? Yeah, it is definitely like, you know, the whole elephant's too big to swallow, right? <laughs> um, and I think that's an individual question. I don't know that it's better to start on marketing versus finance or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, I will say this, companies die without customers. Mm -hmm. So starting in the idea of how we will attract and retain customers I mean, this is the lifeblood of an organization. Right. You know, profits may not be the purpose of your company, but it's sure hard to survive without them. Right. Um, to me, that that might be one uh, or wherever your biggest problem is. Sure. Um, but I feel like this exercise of take your company and write the manual that would, you know, so that covers 90% of the decisions that have to get made on a weekly basis. Yeah. Right. This is the binder that, uh, ideally, someone could go run another location of your business without you off of this binder. Right. That is just so taxing. That sounds so overwhelming to most business owners. Yeah. Um, and yet, if if someone is willing to pay that price, then using that manual at your own location and having everyone on the team have this uh, aligned vision for what it means to work here, what it means to produce at this level, what it means for our clients to experience us this way. Mm-hmm. Um, that shared brain power actually makes life way easier, right? When you've got the shared expectation, the shared process. Um, I think I, I was re-listening to this for, I don't know, the ninth time, <laughs> two weeks ago, I was listening to this book. And I was thinking about our consulting business, training business, you know, where mm -hmm. we teach kind of the, the patterns of high achievers and stuff. And he was asking the question, what if you had to run 5,000 locations of your mm -hmm. business? How good is your manual then? Mm-hmm. And I really started thinking, okay, what if we were in, what if we were in 5,000 cities and whether we're hiring, you know, former special operations, you know, commandos, operators, or whether we're hiring business professionals to go out and do this teaching for us of high performance teams and stuff. Right. Um, 
what if there was going to be 5,000 of them? You know, how, <laughs> you know, the system I'd been thinking of in my mind, could it withstand that level of differentiation from backgrounds and stuff? Right. And um, maybe that's overdoing it to think of it to that level. But when you look at the odds, you look at the statistics that you're up against, I'm not sure there's that many people that are overdoing it <laughs> in preparation. Yeah, you know? definitely. That's awesome. Um, thinking about uh, Child Rescue, this anti-sex trafficking charity, um, what's a way that that becomes a system that can be um, replicated across cities and continents? Um, you know, you've, you've done stuff uh, throughout the United States, you've done stuff abroad. Um, how has using checklists, having systems, having roles, how has that helped you in your efforts there? Yeah, again, I think it's just um, become painfully obvious when we haven't done that, how ineffective and, you know, um, even things as simple as putting a tips line on the website, you know, so the Polaris Project out in Washington, D.C., their phone number is one 888 Mm-hmm. Okay. No matter where somebody calls in a tip from, Polaris will find out who the local law enforcement is that the tip should get to. Mm. Well, when we weren't posting that everywhere, we would get random Facebook messages from people trying to send a tip to us. Mm. Right? Yeah. And I have no idea who to contact in law enforcement in Alabama. Right. Right? Mm. And it just, uh, then we get it and then we're frantically trying to figure out what to do and where to do it. And I mean, that's one that didn't even involve a human process. Right. Except making sure this phone number is all over the place. Right. 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 Um, but, uh, I do think like, um, when you get a systematic approach that's proven to create a result, that duplication is where the real opportunity for growth comes. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's not the one-time wonder. It's not that, Oh, we got lucky. They actually liked it this time. Right. Right. You know, we've been talking about, um, the idea internally of, of making a TV show where, we're working with the law enforcement who are already doing good at this in the country and putting a spotlight on the folks who, who are making the difference for these children. And that's something that there are cops all across the country. So we're, we're literally just getting starting on the fundraising for this. You know, we've got some extremely experienced individuals from federal law enforcement and, you know, some of the intelligence community guys who are willing to help. We've got great filmmakers who have been involved in making other TV shows as advisors. Right. Yeah. And, and we've got, you know, the one offer from the big TV network we're looking at, right? right. Um, if we can't make those episodes into the kind of checklist that lets us easily go from city to city, our budget isn't going to go as far. Right. We're not going to be able to show that there's trafficking in every state in the country, right? Right. Um, where if you get a well-oiled machine, if you get a reasonable checklist that a reasonably intelligent person can, can solve, you know, can get those checks, checks done, we can get more done for the same amount of money. We can get more influence. We can get more kids helped. We can get more Americans informed, right? Yeah, which we totally want. That's awesome. Well, um, you know, I know you love this book. You just said you've listened to it like nine times or something. Um, what's your final argument to anybody and everybody? Why should somebody read this book? Yeah, um, I think, and and maybe this doesn't have to be the final argument, but we can talk for another few minutes, but I think, um, for me, there's a level of discipline as the founder, as the owner, as the management team that we don't often subject ourselves to. 
And as a result, we end up having someone who doesn't know what's going on in our brain making a decision for our business because <laughs> we're not there. Yep. And by us in leadership not paying the price to lay it out, and it's not like we need to write the manual in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not. I mean, look at the way you look at that last event we just did out in the forest with the airsoft guns and mm-hmm. the spec ops guys, right? Mm-hmm. And it's Tanner sitting there writing up how he built the rope bridge for, with the target shooting and right. these things, right? Right. Um, it's not like the manual needs to be only written by the CEO or the founder or someone, right? Um, but the point is the discipline to get it written down and made sure, like to confirm that we have a shared consciousness on what this is. To me, that's just like, you know, uh, we always talk about productive paranoia mm-hmm. from the Jim Collins book, Great by Choice. Mm-hmm. That is productive paranoia at its utmost, right? It's it's preparing for the problem. It's preparing for the inventor not being there when the question needs to get asked, when the question needs to get answered. Mm-hmm. And um, we uh, so often have major problems when somebody says, it wasn't supposed to happen that way. I can't believe you did that. Now the client's mad. And maybe these are eggs that can't get unscrambled. And that was a big, re- that was a big account for us. Or that was our only account right. or, you know, things like this. Yep. And it wasn't because nobody knew what to do. It's because nobody had written it down so that everybody would know what to do. Right. And in those circumstances, if you don't have to find roles, everybody's pointing fingers at everybody. Yeah. Co- cooperation. Uh, Cooperation goes down when everybody's opinions can change. Right. Because there isn't a standard for how we do things here. Right. And it's funny as I talk about this, it sounds like some like, you know, Star Trek the Borg. Where it's, <laughs> you know, it's not that it has to eliminate creativity. It's not that it has to eliminate innovation. Right. But, but the point about creativity and innovation is that there probably is a right time and a right place. And there probably is a certain methodology. And there probably is an appropriate budget. And a going over budget. Right, right. Um, and if those aren't talked about and that those thoughts aren't shared, then it's almost like they don't exist. Right. I was actually just thinking about that. How do you, maybe you just said enough, but how do you, when you're making checklists and you're limiting things down to very simple processes, how do you make sure that people don't feel like they're being demeaned to menial tasks? Um, when, when Jerson's editing the podcast, how do, how do we make sure that he doesn't simply feel like he just, he, he has no option for creativity. You know, he can't mess around with the effects or he can't do that or whatever, because we have it so delineated. How do we avoid that? Or what can we do? It's a question, right? Um, I think that it probably makes sense for a document like this to be a living document, right? They're, you know, scheduling a review period Mm -hmm. where, is this matching what we're looking for here? Yeah. Um, I think it very easily can get to be a dictatorship if there's only one person writing it and one person gets to think and everyone else has to do, mm-hmm. right? I think it could feel demeaning or at least monotonous. Um, certainly the idea of um, having a uh, having a team participation and a team debate even if someone's going to have the final say, maybe it's the founder or the CEO that has the final say, uh, letting everyone come to work with their brain turned on right. and letting everyone's opinions at least be heard and be put up on the whiteboard and considered. Um, it's amazing how much alignment and cooperation will come from people, even when you don't choose their way 
if at least they felt heard and they felt like their way was legitimately considered. Right. The other thing, I mean, I was thinking about some of the CEO coaching for one of our clients who we were talking about this very subject um, in the advertising world, and it was really overwhelming. And when we boiled it down to the idea of what if she was assigning different staff members to write different parts of it, or at least, at least draft one, you know, the first right. draft, right? all of a sudden, like the stress started going out of the conversation. And all of a sudden, if she didn't have to eat the whole elephant herself, this seemed like something she was much more willing to take on. Right. And I think that's a lesson probably for us internally. I mean, we, we've started on this process ourselves, but mm-hmm. it's something that we haven't finished. Right. Um, and, and maybe that's something we need to do a better job at ourselves. Um, I am a fanatic of structure. I think, uh, you learn it when you're young and you start using a day planner and you see the difference in your day. And, the, and, and when you're writing in a journal at night and you can say, wow, look at what I did today. Uh, and there's a recipe for success there. But when you start to do this in a, in a group of people, when you have um, people who are good at different things and, and, and doing different work, um, it's incredible. There's, a, there's an amazing cap- uh, capability for when people come together to do much more than they ever could alone. But if that's not structured, it's usually a disaster. And uh, I've seen the beginnings of this in our own work, and uh, I've seen it work amazing in other companies where they've delineated these roles and responsibilities, and and they've made tasks very simple um, in to digest. But they've also left the employees to to think and have their brains on in order to improve. And it's amazing what they can accomplish. Those are the guys that um, take the market and sweep the floor. And, um, I would say anybody who is looking for direction on how to start with structure, this is the book you want. You know, you saying that made me think of one of the things that I remember reading this for the first time when I was running the investment fund. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the things that it brought up, again, it seemed like a business, a business book for small businesses, mm-hmm. right? Not, not our team with people all over and in different, you know, different parts of the country running these energy projects we owned part of, right? right? And what was interesting is it made me realize how much time I spent on the kind of things I was already good at mm-hmm. or the things I had a natural inclination for, the sales side, things like this. Um, but the, the finance side or the, some of the operations side, it really highlighted where I needed to work. Right. And the nature of like an exercise of having to write everything down was like massively informative of how much I really didn't have a clear thought on myself, <laughs> let alone enough clarity to explain for somebody else how to do it. Right. right? right. And it, it, it just makes me ask the questions, okay, maybe I'm not going to be the one doing the books, but does that mean that uh, I've given complete control away or are we going to have double signatures on these checks? So at least there is that oversight. And, you know, um, by having to write down the specifics uh, it made me confront the holes in the business that were either, you know, woefully neglectful or just straight up blind spots. Right. Um, and so for me, it was massively helpful in that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Great. We'll leave it there for today. Okay. Take care. That was another installment of Book Review Fridays. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll also check out Child Rescue uh, from the menu on our website, iCollective.co. And if this episode or any other episode really stood out to you or or you have a story to tell us, please email me um, at the email stories at iCollective.co. Thanks so much.
Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.